0: And Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber, and I am sitting here with Anna Chaczynski, Alex Bell, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Alex Bell.
1: My fact this week is that the controls in the world's first combat submarine were lit up with glowing mushrooms.
2: That is
0: That's disgusting. Amazing! <laughs> when you say the controls, were the controls themselves the mushrooms? Or <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that would be amazing. It was actually, like
1: in your car at nighttime when you're driving, all the dials kind of light Ooh, up. Yes. 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 So it was literally the little needles on the dials and things that had tiny bits of foxfire, which is the type of mm. bioluminescent fungi attached to them.
2: I think foxfire is what Americans call any kind of glowing fungus, and it comes from Fox more like foe as in fake fake fire
3: they used to call it cold fire, didn't they? I think Ooh. maybe Aristotle or someone said right. it was cold fire. When
1: was this submarine? Uh, this was a submarine called the Turtle. It was more of a <laughs> kind of submersible, it looked like a giant lemon, a one-man submersible. It was built in 1775 in America and it was to fight British Royal Navy ships. So uh, if you imagine a kind of acorn or lemon shaped thing that's big enough to keep one man in and that floats just under the water and then it's got a little knobbly bit on the top that sticks above the water with windows in and you put your head up in that bit uh-huh. so you can see the ships. And it was the first submarine to use water as ballast so when it needed to sink it has water pumped in and then you can pump it out again
3: but the person who would claim to have built the first submarine is Cornelius van Drebbel and that was at the very start of the 17th century and he sort of did the same thing I think where the way his submarine worked is that it was like a boat but with a roof over the top and under each seat there was a huge pig's bladder and the pig's bladder was filled up with water. And when it was filled up with water, then it would sink. Um, so that would be what weighted it all the way down. And then I think they would just squeeze the pig's bladder so that they emptied in order to rise to the surface again. Mm. They? So if you're sitting on your seat and you had to go up to the surface again, you just like push down really, really hard on your seat. And then the water pumped out of the pig's bladders. And like a whoopee water. cushion kind exactly of thing. Exactly, like a whoopee cushion. Did it make the
1: noise?
2: Uh,
3: hopefully, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: just to amuse the fish. But then that would give away your location yeah. to the enemy. <laughs>
0: the... So obviously (laughs) this is pre-electricity. Did they use bioluminescent fungi for any other kind of household lighting? I mean, it's weird that they cracked the idea that you could use this in a submarine but not use it in homes.
2: I know that the Scandinavians were supposed to have used it at nighttime during the long sort of winter nights. And there was a guy in the 1600s who wrote that Indonesians used uh, fungus as improvised torches. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and also Micronesians used to put bioluminescent fungus onto their clothes like for um, sort like of Yeah, I think they still do. <laughs> I
3: think they, they still decorate their faces and their headdresses with glowing mushrooms Wow. to scare people. That would scare me. It yeah. would, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you just get a massive mushroom yeah. in every battle.
0: So I was looking into things that glow on earth and one of the things I found was there's all these forests that glow with bioluminescence fungi as well and I'd, I'd just never seen it before and you can see pictures online it's stunning it does look like you've gone into laser quest but a forest
3: and we only found out exactly the mechanism by which they glow a couple of years ago I think um, although it's just a chemical process that I didn't understand anyway but we didn't know until a couple of years ago and now that means that hopefully we can replicate it and they're thinking about using it in street lighting I think there's a Dutch design called Dan Roosegaard, whose name I will have mispronounced. And um, yeah, he's looking at bioluminescent creatures in order to make street lamps. Does
1: that I mean that one day we might plant street lamps and they'll just grow? Yeah, that yeah.
0: is true. That would be cool. That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Yeah. They've been making glowing plants in the ISS, in the International Space what Station. They? Yeah, remember we spoke about the cress that they were making yeah. up yeah. in space? Well, the cress they genetically modified so it would glow a different colour if it was feeling stressed because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to test the stress <laughs> levels of plants. Hmm. Crest stress. Press stress. so they yeah they managed to make these glow so they could be like oh it's really stressed but they were actually pushing the stress on the crest as well they wanted to see how far they could push it before it starts withering and, and so it can't handle yeah. it anymore <laughs> yeah yeah send him back down he's he's not doing how well do up here put stress on crests I guess um, uh, by putting it in space
2: (laughs) Or just be like, I'm the most important crest I've got a really important job Yeah, uh, I think it's kind of lack of water Would be stressful for plants Or uh, poor soil I remember once reading that if clover is stressed Then it grows extra leaves Because it needs to get more nutrients And so if you see a four-leaved clover It's more likely to come from a stressed environment Oh really? It's actually an upset clover? It's terrible luck? It's good luck for you but bad luck for the clover Oh no, Um, that's so sad. Oh, wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's just really interesting. Yeah. Well, Um, that's what we're here for, (laughs) Dan. Finally, 130
2: shows in. Is <laughs> <laughs> that what's um, on?
3: mushrooms and fungi, some fungi make a noise when they release their spores. So there's a fungi called the devil's cigar, and it only exists in a really remote place in the middle of Texas and in Japan. But apparently it makes a weird whistling noise. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> what it's did you like well, While
0: you were saying all that, I was just trying to imagine what kind of noise it would make. I just want to be hilarious. It was just like... <laughs> <laughs> Just little. I was pop.
1: thinking more like tennis groan like an- <laughs> <laughs> Sex noises
2: <laughs>
3: Well that's what they're doing
2: aren't they They're releasing spores They or are having you- sex I think No they yeah. sure are It's so more like
3: masturbating I think Because you're putting it out there aren't you Yeah
2: you're right Although I think masturbating You're not kind of throwing your sperm out there In the hope that it collects Someone's
3: <laughs> <at> <laughs> why you do it in the hope that it finds an egg somewhere (laughs) so I am not allowed back to the sperm donor uh, hospital
2: (laughs) there is a famous thing about um, giraffes when they have sex they can't always mount each other correctly Mm -hmm. and so they often ejaculate and their ejaculate is kind of lighter than air and drifts around so sometimes if you go (laughs) to some zoos there could be, like, little strands of giraffe ejaculate. Flying giraffes. Oh,
0: my God. Oh, and is that, like, the equivalent of a bride throwing a bouquet? <laughs> like, <laughs> do they just chuck it into the wind and see which female giraffe goes no, through it? No, it, <laughs> it out. Like female giraffe. <laughs> yeah. But underwater
1: the same, isn't it? Lots of species of things underwater release yeah. their sperm just into the water when there aren't yeah. females around and the assumption it'll get somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Right. Corals. Um, yeah.
3: Fungus. Actually, it's weird that you suggested the farting sound because fungi do make their own wind, so they generate their own weather. And this is a way that they they disperse their spores. And so they've looked into this with oyster and shiitake mushrooms. And what they do is they give off water vapor and that cools down the air just above them. And that makes this convection current, which makes the air, as if you remember the old GCSE physics, kind of spin round. And so the convection current means that the spores get blown further away. So they're able to disperse. That's
1: like the opposite of sweating because we sweat in order for air to evaporate it. So it cools us down. But they're sweating in order to make the air move.
3: Yes, it's, quite, it's like an alternative to sweating. Yeah. I don't know if it's the exact opposite. Yeah, okay, the exact opposite is like sucking Drinking. in salty <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: James always says that uh, when you're in a club, there's almost a weather system above you in a
3: club. Yeah.
2: People have been to clubs, I'm sure, where it's so hot and sweaty that mm. it starts raining sweat from the ceiling. So is
0: it like that?
3: Yes, it's like a disgusting cloud of mushroom sweat.
0: But a single fungi creating.
3: Yeah, although that if kind there are of... lots of them there, I guess you get a big cloud, a big sweat cloud. You know, you guys
2: always say that I'm wrong to be disgusted by mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. But the more I hear about their sweat rain, <laughs> the more I think, yeah, they're lovely. It's also an alternative
1: answer to why did the mushroom go to the party to create better airflow within the rave room so that <laughs> it would rain. Oh yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's That would be the answer from
2: the mushroom expert. Uh, actually, the reason he yeah. was so party. <laughs> I think I tweeted once that um, because it's why did a mushroom go, he's not a fun guy, he's a fun Gus. Uh, it should be why did the mushroom called Gus go to the party? Yeah. Because he was a fun Gus. Uh, I don't want to go to any party that involves
1: James plus an expert both going around <laughs> running jokes.
3: <laughs> the fastest accelerating thing on earth is a fungus. Huh? It's known as the hat thrower or the dung cannon fungus. And um, it lives on feces. And so it needs to blast its spores away from the feces because the way it procreates is by having its spores eaten by, let's say, cows. Yeah. And cows do not like to eat where they defecate, like a lot of us. It's um, and so it <laughs> needs <laughs> um so yeah they have to blast the spores far away and they accelerate to 45 miles an hour within the first millimeter um so it means the spores will travel at more than a million times their body length in one second
0: interesting what you say about cows because i was just thinking they do eat where they shit don't they in a field. Yeah, so in a field. Only in the, like, we sometimes shit and eat in the same house. No, no, very different because there's not. it's not often that I will be in the kitchen or at the, the dinner table, table and yeah. there's a shit next to my plate. That's true. Is there a kind of code amongst the cows to shit on the left-hand side of
2: the field and, oh. and dinner's on the right? That does I don't happen know. with some animals. Yeah. Um, right. There are some burrowing animals that will have a special place where they defecate. Ants definitely do. They have a special toilet where they excrete. They? Yeah.
3: Generally, for animals like that, as long as you keep a few minutes meters away I think you're okay no it's
0: okay but you might see a great patch of grass and you go over and you go oh someone's shout on my potential dinner and
2: the other thing is that the shit is obviously going to make the grass grow better because of the fertilization so really you do want to eat where you shit one cow's shit is another cow's dinner
3: (laughs) as the old cow proverb goes
2: (laughs) Here's a really good
0: story that I love. Jim Lovell, the man who piloted Apollo 13. Don't know if I've mentioned him in this office before. He may have come up. Yeah, <laughs> yep. he's my absolute hero. So um, he almost didn't make it to Apollo 13 because he almost had to go down in an airplane when he was fighting in a war uh, because his radar got jammed. So he turns his map light on, which is inside, so that he can guide his way home looking at all his instruments. The map light short-circuits the entire cockpit, So as a result, he's got literally no light. So he looks down into the ocean and suddenly notices in the ocean this huge long trail of bioluminescence, green algae that's just lit up the ocean. And the only way that this lights up is in the wake of a massive ship going by. So basically, it's a ginormous runway leading him back home, and he follows that trail, and he lands back on the aircraft carrier and survives. Yeah. It's so extraordinary. Many
1: ridiculous factors like the fact that he couldn't even see it when he turned off all his normal lights. Every single light in the cockpit had to go off for a second for him to notice it, because it was so faint. Yeah. Yeah. So he
0: needed all those things to go wrong: his radar to jam, to be a short circuit in the. It's extraordinary, yeah. and nature guided him home.
3: Yeah, it is incredible Well,
0: technically it was the the aircraft carrier destroying nature Oh, yeah
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, it is time for fact number two And that is James Okay, my fact this week is that while he was president Woodrow Wilson played more than 1,200 rounds of golf How many terms did he do? two terms hmm. so it's what eight years yeah presidential golf historian don van Natta says that it's between 1200 and 1600 uh, and 1600 goes into eight a lot more nicely so that would be 200 rounds a year which let's say 50 weeks is four rounds a week
3: and just to be clear to those of us who aren't golf knowledgeable how long does it take to do a round of golf uh
2: depends but um i should think it would have taken him at least four hours if okay. he's you know taking his time
3: And also, he wasn't very good, was he? No, he wasn't. he was actually not very good despite all the practice, so it probably did take him ages. Yeah,
2: he wasn't very good. Um, But there's kind of a big history of American presidents playing golf. And um, this particular fact came because this week Barack Obama played his 300th round and a lot of his opponents are saying, well, he shouldn't be playing so much golf. He should be concentrating on being president.
0: Mm.
3: And it turns out being president seems to just entail playing golf. <laughs> yeah.
2: I did see a really
0: funny anti-Obama website called Obama Golf Counter. Oh yeah, and you go onto it and it just slowly tallies up how many days he's played sure. golf on, and it just has audio of him just in a loop about twelve different versions of him going, "I will not rest until," and then an example of like, you know, ISIS are taken down, <laughs> I will not rest, and it's just counting up and up the amount of
2: days he's played golf. That's funny, but you're not resting if you're playing golf are you it's a very physical it's, start. it's extremely <laughs> mind driven yeah
3: so just to state how ridiculously popular it is among presidents there have only been three presidents in the 20th century who weren't golf fanatics and they were herbert hoover who just felt it was um disrespectful during the depression and actually i think george bush did a similar thing mm. uh, when america was at war in afghanistan and iraq he said it was disrespectful so he gave up golf did trump not do that quite
2: recently so trump's making a golf course in scotland isn't he and he went to look at it and they said, well, why don't you have a few play a few holes? And he was like, I don't want to be seen with a golf club in my hand because I'm slagging off Obama that he's playing, so I don't want to be seen playing golf. Ah, yes, I see. yeah.
3: And then the only other two are Harry Truman and Jimmy Carter and all the other presidents of the 20th century and 21st century have been obsessed with golf.
1: Woodrow Wilson apparently had the Secret Service paint his golf balls black so he could play them in the White House.
3: Yeah. I thought it was in the snow. It,
1: it was, was in the snow. snow. <laughs> that makes way more sense because I was yeah. like, hey, I don't think the White House is totally white.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like the outside walls of the White House are absorbing the balls into them. <laughs> Woodrow Wilson is on an American bill money bill mm. yeah. didn't know that
2: is Bill Clinton that'd be good
3: that it?
0: would be very good no yeah. he's not what's he on he's on the $100,000 bill yeah which oh, was only circulated for a few months, I believe. It was. So uh, you couldn't get any change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, funny you should mention that because I just read that in 2004, a woman in Georgia, in a place called Covington, um, tried to pick up a 1,675 tab at her local Walmart with a forged one million bill, a one million dollar bill <laughs> that had just been made. It's got the Statue of Liberty's head on it in place of where a president should be, uh, and police quickly arrested her (laughs) what kind of change did you think you were gonna get (laughs) from your million dollar bill at walmart
3: On Woodrow Wilson, actually, he was in love with the Lake District, which I thought was quite bizarre. The
0: British Lake District. The British Lake District. Ah. Um,
3: So his mother was, his family came from Scotland and from the north of England. His mum was born in Carlisle and he visited the Lake District for the first time in 1896 and he went there five times altogether. So he was a cycling fanatic. A lot of people say he was the first person in the state of North Carolina to get on a bike, Um, but he used to do... (laughs) 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 They all owned them. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was too scared.
2: <laughs> Isn't the castle of North Carolina Rally and they make bikes? It sure
3: is. Good. Uh. <laughs> Whoa. Well, he was the first man to own and ride a rally bike okay. in North Carolina. But he used to go to the Lake District and do these long cycle rides. So he did one from um, Glasgow to Carlisle, went to Scotland, came back down, and then Keswick to Grassmere And this is what he loved. And before he died, he was planning his sixth trip. Mm. And then he he popped his clogs instead
2: Um, So this afternoon instead of researching I've been watching the Olympics golf And this is the first time that golf's been In the Olympics for ages and ages and ages Uh, The last time um, Was in 1904 It was at St. Louis And there were 77 players Um, 74 of them were American And 3 of them were Canadian And a Mm. Canadian won (laughs) <laughs> really? Yeah. And is uh, that why they stopped doing it? America just <laughs> shut down gold for a century It was a guy called George Lyon uh, He was in his mid-40s And he only took up the game at age 38 And the following Olympics in 1908, um, they were going to have a competition, but none of the players um, from the Royal and Ancient could decide what the format would be, and so everyone withdrew. The only person who didn't withdraw was George Lyon again, and they offered him the gold medal, but he decided, well, I'm not playing, so I don't really deserve it, so he didn't get it.
3: That is, wow. I think that's really mean on George Lyon. How annoyed would you be if all these people just didn't bother? Yeah. It is bad, isn't it's it? It's robbing him of his glory. Yeah. Um, isn't the Olympic golf course being overrun by capybaras? I saw someone tweet a picture because yeah. I think they built it on a nature reserve or in a bit of a swamp that's in a nature reserve and there are capybaras popping up. All the tomorrow. real
1: story is that the capybara nature reserve has been overrun by golfers. Well, that's what they're <laughs> discussing on there. Yeah. LAUGHTER oh, <sure. laughs> <laughs>
3: Jeremy sorry no, you go Jeremy Kyle I mean, it was about Jeremy Kyle <laughs> oh, my God. Corbin. <laughs> <laughs> I read an interview with him in fact I read an interview with his wife and he licks his golf balls before he takes a shot each time um, because he says he doesn't want to get his golf towel his white golf towel dirty
2: often when you go and play golf it will say do not lick your balls Uh, And that's because they use a lot of chemicals on the greens to make the greens grow. And a lot of them are quite poisonous. So you can get really sick by licking your golf balls. Is there genuinely a sign that says, do not lick your balls? Quite often. I think it's it's done knowingly. Yeah.
3: Is it a habit that people have? Is this not abnormal then for people to lick their golf
2: balls? If you had a little bit of mud on your
3: balls,
2: (laughs) just one ball, in fact, because you only use one. If you had a bit of mud on and you just wanted to clean it, then you might lick your finger and just wipe off the mud. And then next time you get some more mud on it. So you lick your finger again.
1: If I have a muddy finger, I'll wash my hands.
3: They don't bring soap Mm, and sinks around a golf course with you. (laughs) Um...
1: President Eisenhower um, was on the board of the Augusta National Golf Club in Georgia and there's a tree on this golf course that he kept hitting um, so he thought it was in the way so during a board meeting he asked if it could be chopped down and the chairman was too embarrassed to just say no because he was the president so instead he just immediately ended the meeting Really? Yeah That was a strop and a half yeah, I thought it was weird.
2: I'm pretty sure that tree got hit by lightning or something Ice or... storm I think That's, I mean, the, that uh, that's the official story yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got hit by lightning
1: Also the chairman's gone
2: so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what to the
2: chairman he was hit by lightning <laughs> what were the
3: chances? i was yeah, oh. just very quickly i was just looking at the hobbies of the two presidents who didn't like golf to see what they did okay. in their spare time so one of them was truman a woman once wrote to president truman asking what he did in his spare time and he, there was a reply from his spokesperson who said the president has no hobbies and his official duties leave him little time for recreation most of his activities are reported in the daily newspapers where no doubt you have read of them that's the end of Truman's. No hobbies. <laughs> that's a really
2: good reply,
0: isn't it? That's what, that's what you want. Busy making the country run. Yeah.
3: I don't want that at all. It's a all. bit snippy,
1: though. It I is
3: think, a bit yeah. snippy. Um, but the other one is much better. So Jimmy Carter, my favorite president anyway, is into woodwork, but really into woodwork. So he makes all this furniture and he sells it. So he's made um, loads of cradles. He made a four-poster bed that he sold for a quarter of a million dollars. In. What? He made a cradle in 2007 that he sold for 300. $20,000. Now, it is possible there's a slight inflation on these prices given that it's made by Jimmy Carter and the money goes to charity. I doubt it. But you know, I <laughs> yeah. think it's just good quality Incredible produce. Yeah. Furniture.
2: I read about Lyndon B. Johnson. Apparently, according to Forbes, um, an article on there, um, his hobby was drunk driving around his property. <laughs> Um, yeah, he, he had a ranch, and he liked to drink, drive around there, and especially he had an amphibious car, which he would pretend that he was accidentally driving into a <laughs> yeah. lake. Oh, yes, he <laughs> would just do that, he would yeah, do that yeah.
0: with guests, right?
1: Yeah.
2: He just would be, we're oh all
3: no, the brakes,
2: And then they'd be fine. Yeah, that yeah.
3: is so um. fun.
0: Uh, quiz question about Jimmy Carter. Mm. Okay. Jimmy Carter is the 39th president of the United mm. States of America. What first does he bring as a president? And this is something to do with his personal life. First
2: woodwork expert. Oh,
0: that's probably... I've definitely phrase this question yeah okay was that's... he the
3: first to write a children's
2: book no um, um, he was the first to put a bowling lane in the white house
0: no basically he's the first president to have been born in a hospital okay. oh. 39th president
2: a lot of them were born in wood cabins weren't they yeah. Yeah. A lot of cab- all built by him <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact is that when the poets Shelley and Byron went on a rider's retreat to Lake Geneva in 1816, the hotel opposite them hired out telescopes to their guests so that they could spy on them.
3: (laughs) so funny it's so
0: surreal so this by the way was a very very famous trip uh, that Shelley and Byron had made because they uh, they were sat in the house one night and there were lots of storms that were going on for about three days solid and it's during one of those storms that Shelley's girlfriend at the time, Mary, and Byron, and Shelley started coming up with ghost stories and scary stories, horror stories, and that's where Frankenstein was born.
3: So the five guests, uh, there were three great writers and then two really tragic figures, one of whom was Claire Claremont, who was Byron's flues, who he'd impregnated, and he really wanted her to stop trying to get off with him, and she followed him there, and so he invited this other guy, his doctor, called Polidori, uh, to act as like a third wheel to make sure that Claire didn't get a chance to get Byron in a corner and snog him or whatever. And yeah Polidori had the most awful time with Byron, employed as his doctor, and they were asked to write these ghost stories on this night. Byron challenged him to write a ghost story and Polidori wrote this story and wrote the first ever vampire story in the English language and um, he just kind of forgot about it. He sent it to a friend when he got back to the u k and it got lost somewhere and then a few years later it got published in um, this monthly magazine just under the title "The Vampire a Tale by lord byron and so Polidori has spent you know many years being so Jealous of Byron and hating him, resenting him, and then he finds that this one story he's written is published under Byron's name.
1: I like that it sort of is a ghost story that was accidentally ghost written. Uh,
3: yeah, uh, yeah.
2: It's not really a ghost story because there's no ghosts in it. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. But anyway, let's
0: let's get back to um, this hotel. What's quite amazing about it is, a, I didn't realise celebrity paparazzi things were going on back then. I think Byron is often credited as being a part of the birth of that whole. Yeah, obsession. one of the first.
2: Mm-hmm. Bo Brummel as well.
0: Yeah, he was basically. The Anna Wintour of the time, he was defining fashion purely by what he would write totally. as reports of a sort of vanity fair party or a yeah, vote exactly. party, right? So they found not too long ago, um, in the last couple of years, the edition of Frankenstein that Mary Shelley signed for Byron. So she she sent him a letter saying, I'd love to hear if you think this is a good book. He never sent back a comment. Yeah. And then he then wrote, someone asked him about the book, and he wrote his opinion to them in that. And he said, "Methinks it's a wonderful work for a girl of 19. Okay. So he did like it, but kind of patronizingly so, liked yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, anyone
1: who starts with me thinks. I know. That's why I thought, really I was like, is up. Jar Jar Binks writing <laughs> <Yeah>. this? <laughs>
3: She was pretty weird, actually, Mary Shelley. Was she? she? Well, I think she did a couple of weird things. So Percy drowned in a shipwreck Um, after he died. She bought this clifftop house in Bournemouth and this was in 1851. And then she moved there with her children, but she also moved the remains of her parents there. So her parents were buried near King's Cross and she was just like, well, I'm moving. I guess I'll just bring my parents along.
0: Oh, you mean as in she dug up the graves?
3: Yeah. She had the graves dug up and had them reburied in Bournemouth. Isn't that strange?
0: Yeah. Well, she also kept uh, (laughs) Percy Shelley's heart in her desk.
3: So the rumour goes. I don't think we have any evidence of that. Oh,
0: okay. Because I think that more modern historians would say they actually think it was Shelley's liver that they mistaken for a heart.
3: I think the story was told by one of Shelley's friends was that when Shelley was being cremated, his friend dived into the fire and seized the heart. So it's very possible that he would have accidentally seized the liver because they weren't very anatomically good then anyway. And there's a big fire in the way. Mm. So I guess he just went for the first organ he could get his hands on.
0: Yeah, Who knows? Byron had a coffin at the end of his dining table. They really kind of loved that kind of stuff. He, he used to get uh, skulls and have them converted into... Um, drinking cups? Yeah, drinking cups. Yeah. yeah, drinking cups. In fact, he wanted Percy Shelley's skull as well. But he, he jumped
2: into the fire. <laughs> yeah. but Accidentally brought his femur out. Yeah, but they, they, were, they were worried. I've got a straw at least. <laughs> Um, Can I talk about my
1: favorite spy satellite and telescope? Yeah. Is that <laughs> right? okay. so you've been listening to all this literature all <laughs> over. No no, no, no. no. Um, the Corona uh, spy satellites, uh, reconnaissance satellites, uh, they were kind of made in the 60s and 70s. and They were one of the first reconnaissance satellites to be put up into space. And they had cameras in them, but they were normal Kodak film cameras. So when all the pictures had been taken, the satellite would jettison out a canister of film, which would fall to earth. And so it would come through the atmosphere and then a parachute would open so it would be parachuting down, and then a plane would fly alongside it and grab it out yeah, that
3: is unbelievable. I know. What? <laughs> what? 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 How why? does it work? Yeah, yeah. why so, would you
2: fly alongside it and not just wait for it to land well, and go yeah. and pick it they up? Could. It meant that it was safer because you, there was a
1: risk of someone would pick it up. But there were there were examples of them not catching it in midair and they landed on like a farmer's land and stuff. And they used to write the words "top secret" on it, but they of stopped course. doing that because everyone kept opening them. Yeah. <laughs> so, Have so, you ever no.
2: seen the um, the capsules which the cosmonauts came down in? And then it would say in Russian, person inside, do not be scared, this is not an alien, it's a cosmonaut. It's amazing. It said this is not an alien. It's something like that, yeah. yeah,
1: It's like, do not be alarmed, there may be a person inside, please help me, give them water and stuff.
0: Do not lick balls.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) 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 Um, Andrew Hunter Murray, uh, who's away at the moment, he was telling me that NASA have a telescope on a plane. So they fly the plane up, and then they start observing through a
2: telescope really cool. on the plane. Yeah. Do you have yeah. this on the list?
1: I, don't, I only put my top one, because I didn't think you'd listen to me for that long.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I read an article from 1998, um, and it was about people buying telescopes in New York. And 5,000 people had bought a telescope, but because of the pollution, you can't see any stars. Ah. And so they asked a lot of these people, why have you bought telescopes? And the most common answer was to spy on my neighbor's. Really? Mm. Yeah.
3: There was a survey done in Switzerland that asked people if they spied on their neighbors and 22% of people admitted that they did actively use equipment like binoculars or mm. camera phones or through the spy holes in their door. Um, and they were asked why they spied on their neighbors. And in Switzerland, the most popular reason for spying was to check out a neighbor's plants. <laughs> <laughs> 28% of people. That
2: feels like a Swiss yeah. euphemism or something, doesn't it? <laughs> Look at the plants on that one. <laughs>
3: well, they did the same study in the UK and a third of people said they spy on their neighbours and in the UK the most commonly given reason is to check they're (laughs) alright
2: it's to check open brackets if they're a bit off close brackets (laughs) (laughs) alright
0: okay it is time for our final fact of the show and that is Chasinski. Chuzinski
3: My fact this week is that famous historical games of Go include the blood vomiting game, the ear reddening game, the famous killing game and the atomic bomb game. Mm, So this is about the game Go, which is a very famous game, comes from China originally. It's the oldest board game in the world that's still being played. Uh, So
2: not Pokemon Go then.
3: Uh, Sorry, no, that's obviously one of the oldest games in the world It's still being played, it feels like To some of us But no, and there have been games documented Throughout history for hundreds and hundreds of years And there are these famous historical games
2: So So, what were they again? uh,
3: So the blood vomiting game.
2: Okay, so what happens in the blood vomiting game? It's
3: a lot like it sounds. It was in 1835 and it was a game where there were two players. One was beating the other and then the other had these four spectacular moves. And the first move was a move that his school of go had been planning for months and months. Mm. So he won that. And then the next three moves were given to him by (laughs) ghosts. So he won those three as well because ghosts came down and helped him out. So he won that game.
0: I I read that sentence (laughs) and I just sat back and just let it soak in. It's the most enjoyable little nugget I've read in a fact for a very long time. How is that
1: not cheating? I don't understand how that's allowed.
0: Well, because in Go, it turns out that you are allowed help from other people. You just need to pause the game. Just to jump forward very quickly, I think we should stick on the blood vomiting game for a minute. But to jump forward to the ear reddening game, that game took three months to play. Yeah. Took three months because each player was allowed a twenty-four hour period of thinking time in between each move, and they took it.
3: Worst spectator sport ever. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got a day ticket to yeah. a game of Go, and
0: what they would do in that twenty-four hour periods is often the person who was playing would go back into their wherever they lived, and they would have a group of students study. The game up to the point it was at and they would then decide on what potential new moves could be done the next move
3: and just to finish off the blood vomiting game yeah. if anyone's still wondering about the name um, so as this guy started to lose uh, he keeled over collapsed on the board and started coughing up blood and uh. he was dead within a couple of months uh. I thought he probably had TB but it might have been just the pain of losing yeah and the ear reddening game that Dan mentioned is called that this was in 1846 it was a hot century for go but in 1846 it was a game that a doctor happened to be watching and everyone else who was watching it thought the one guy would lose and the doctor said no I think the other guy's gonna lose and people said why and he said because I saw his ears flush red when his opponent made a move and that means he's distressed and indeed he was right so that's the ear reddening game and then sadly, the famous killing game is just a really intense game.
0: Wow, so he glowed under stress as well. <laughs> yeah. sure. Like the Space Cress. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing.
3: <laughs> yeah, Maybe that's how you stress out a bit of Cress. You just beat it at Go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Should we quickly explain what Go is? Yeah. Yes. Just very, very simply, it's a board game, a bit like chess or drafts, uh, and each player has white or black pebbles, and you put them on the board. It's quite complicated, but the basic thing is you're trying to encircle your opponent's pieces uh, and get territory
3: yeah encircle bits of territory um and it's like one go at a time and it's incredibly simple the rules but very complex as james says to get good at it the strategy is unbelievably complex and the the famous thing recently
2: is it's really hard for computers to play Uh, Because there are so many different possible combinations of moves. And one move that you do now in 100 days' time could be really important in ways that you haven't foreseen. And so the computers can't work it out. Although recently, I think they might have won, did they?
3: Yeah, I think this was a bit of a blow for the Go community. But AlphaGo, which is made by Google's artificial intelligence arm, and it's AlphaGo this thing that beat this Korean guy Lee Sedol and then so Lee Sedol is currently ranked fourth in the world and the person who's ranked first in the world is called KG and I'm really sorry that's mispronounced he's 18 and he said when he saw AlphaGo being so good I don't want to play AlphaGo because I know that I'm better than AlphaGo I've watched his matches with Lee and AlphaGo is weaker than me and I don't want him stealing my moves yeah. so he's backed out of it saying this sounds quite familiar
2: him. from when I used to play chess as a child and my little brother started beating me and so I kept playing until i beat him once and said well now i'm the reigning champion i don't want to play anymore <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but if you look at the rankings i think they're unofficial rankings but you can look at say the top 200 or whatever and they're all from either china japan or korea oh, yeah. apart from the world number two which is alpha go oh. uh, which is technically a british player
3: Woohoo. Oh, so, okay, so we're number in this, 2 number in the world. Two. That's yeah. very good.
2: Yeah.
0: Um can I bring up another game that you mentioned in the headline Yes, Fact? sorry, the atomic bomb game. The atomic bomb game. This is amazing. So they were in Hiroshima. They were in the outer suburbs or about uh, 5 kilometers from where impact ground zero was for the bomb detonating. So they were mid-game and suddenly the bomb goes off and there was damage to their building, people were injured around them. This is what's remarkable. They resumed play after a lunch break. Yep. And then it was by the police coming around saying you need to go elsewhere and they just went further out to continue the game
1: just on um, artificial intelligence and um, computers that we were talking about as James was saying goes quite a hard game to beat with a computer there is a game that was specifically designed to be difficult for a computer to beat by a guy called Omar Syed who was inspired by watching uh, Deep Blue defeat Kasparov yeah um, so he invented this game called Arima which is it can be played on a chessboard and it's basically a bit like chess but there are different pieces there's the like an elephant and a camel and a horse and uh, dogs and cats it, the idea is that it's supposed to be difficult for computers to play but easy for humans okay. um, and that because the computer can't use kind of like tree logic by looking up every single different combination and then working out what the best one is by comparing them all. Um, it's slightly intuitive. Right. But right. despite that, a computer eventually won in 2015. They had an international competition every year. There were three competitions. There would be a human-only competition, a computer-only competition, and then the third one where computers versus humans. And um, for ages, uh, computers always lost. And then in 2015, they won.
2: It would be good if they had Olympic boxing and then Robot Wars, and then the best Olympic boxer (laughs) fought against the best Robot Wars guy. That'd be amazing. Well,
0: they Um. do robot football slash soccer now, don't they? And they do have the robots play a human team, and Levin Skyra, who is a very good friend of ours, been on the show a few times, he reckons uh, that by 2050... Uh, the robots will beat the human team.
2: Yeah, he does say that, although they do look hilariously bad, yeah. the robots. It's yeah. unbelievably bad. Totally.
0: It's like just putting a bunch of pigs into <laughs> yeah. a football arena and saying, try and score. They just yeah. have no interest in scoring. <laughs> they have no anything. <laughs>
2: They're just running into walls. Um, pigs do play football sometimes, don't they? I knew, I knew I'd knew i say something that would. Yeah. I would hope make no <laughs> sense, and James would come in saying, actually... <laughs> I think, by law, you're supposed to give them things to play with because they get bored and yeah. quiet. Quite often they give them bowls and they kind of like to nuzzle them around and I'm pretty sure I've seen a video of pigs playing football.
3: Maybe they're just licking them because they think it's good luck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At Eggshaped. Alex.
3: At Alexbell underscore.
0: And Chazinski.
3: You can email podcast at qi.com.
0: Yep, or you can go to at qi podcast. That's our group Twitter account. And you can also go to no such thing as a fish.com where we have all the previous podcast episodes and you can listen to them there. We'll see you again next week for another episode. Goodbye.